Okay, so verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so, that when he, so he promised in an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and the head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go on into the villages to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides the women and children. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just come before you this, this morning. We want to give you thanks for the ability to be here. Give you thanks, Lord, for having a place to come where we are free to worship you. Lord, as we get ready to hear your words expounded upon by Jackie, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to settle the hearts and minds of the children, that their hearts and minds would be able to accept your word, Lord, that they would come to know you. Lord, we also ask that you would gift the teachers and empower them to to give these children your word. And Lord, we ask that you would speak through Jackie as we get into your scriptures a little more deeply. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All the little ones are free. Have fun, guys. So this morning we get to have a contrast of two feasts. One is a feast to silence the king's herald. And the other is the king's feast. Both of them have long reaching implications. And we want to make sure that we understand. Remember as we look at books of the Bible, as we study them. The authors of those books put stories together for a reason. It's our job as students of the word to understand it, to try to comprehend the purpose. And this section begins, the feeding of the 5,000 begins with the silencing of the king's herald. 
And there's important things that we want to be able to understand from that. It says, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus. So Jesus' fame is growing. You remember it was a few weeks ago that John the Baptist sent disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the one uh, or shall we look for another? Because all the things I thought you were going to do, you haven't done. That's the implication. And if we're honest, is there anybody in here who hasn't felt that way? Lord, all the things I thought you were going to do, you haven't done. What's going on? And so John goes. And Jesus says, go tell John this. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not ashamed because of me. He took that message, goes back to, to John the Baptist. And ultimately, what Jesus is saying is, I'm God, and I know what I'm doing. And I know you don't always understand that. That's why the, the prophets wrote Isaiah 55. Are you familiar with Isaiah 55? His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We, you and I, as fallen men and women, do not think the thoughts of God. We have a tendency to think other thoughts altogether, don't we? And rebellion against what God's doing is easy. Understanding what God's doing, that's difficult. So what is it that Jesus is asking, John? Trust me. And John would say, perhaps, but I'm in prison. Trust me. I don't really like being in prison. If you've been there, you probably wouldn't like it either. But Jesus said, trust me. Do you trust me, John? Will you live the life I have purposed for you? Whatever it looks like. And I think John says he will. Herod the Tetrarch is also called Herod Antipas. You get a quick Greek lesson. Anti means against and pos means all. Herod Antipas. He was always fighting with everybody. In fact, the reason that we're going to, that we read that there's this problem in the first place is because Herod Antipas is against everyone. Herod is seeing the works of Jesus. And there's an important lesson we want to glean here. He's seeing the works of Jesus and he says to his servants, this is John the Baptist raised from the dead. Now we're going to get a parenthetical story about how that occurred. But Herod looks at Jesus and the miracles that Jesus does and, and the things that Jesus teaches and he sees something like John the Baptist. You see, the messages of John the Baptist and Jesus weren't different. What did John the Baptist preach? Repent and believe. What did Jesus preach? Repent and believe. In the book of Acts, what are we commanded to do? Repent and believe. <laughs> Put our trust in the king. So, so Herod is trying to grapple with the things that have happened because he saw miraculous powers at work in him. And the scripture would tell us, both in Luke and Mark, that there were a lot of stories floating around there about Jesus. Some said he's like Elijah the prophet. Others said that he is like one of the prophets of old that had arisen. And so Herod is interested. We also know that Herod reaches out for Jesus. He wants Jesus to come perform 
he'd like him to come do a miracle for him. In verse 3, chapter 14, it says, For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. What was the problem? Well, Herodias is a twisted affair. Herodias is Herod Antipas' niece. His brother was, or half-brother, was married to her. He stole her, and now she was living as his wife. And the problem is, John the Baptist would not let this fly. Verse 4 says, because John had been saying to him over and over, John had continuously brought this message. It is not lawful for you to have her. We live in a world today where many of us think that we ought not to say anything about sin. That we ought, because we don't want to judge So I'm going to try to help you understand how that works. John the Baptist, the herald of the king, was constantly telling Herod, that's not lawful for you. When the Bible says judge not, krino means to condemn. Who is the judge of the living and the dead? Jesus, in John chapter 5, the Bible says that the father had committed to the son all judgment. So the living and the dead will all pass before Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells the book of Revelation, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you pass to eternal life. And if not, then you pass through judgment to hell. Hell is a place created for the devil and his angels. It wasn't created for you or me. But you can choose it. You have that right. That's judgment. The Bible does tell us to sound the alarm. So if a brother or sister is caught in a trespass, any trespass, you who are spiritual are supposed to go to them in a spirit of meekness. That's gentleness, right? Not arrogance. In a spirit of meekness, in a spirit of fear, having that attitude of love for your brother or sister, and you should tell them, just like, John told Herod, this is not okay. Now, I know people in the world will say, you can't judge me. And my point is, I'm not judging you. I'm warning you. Judgment is what Christ does. Amen? John the Baptist was constantly saying, he was not afraid When the scribes and the Pharisees come to John the Baptist, John the Baptist had been teaching about hypocrisy. And when they came walking up, he said out loud before everyone, who warned you? You pile of snakes to escape the judgment that is coming. He was not afraid to challenge sin. It is good. That God's people, in wisdom, meekness, and fear, confront the sin in our world. If you're not paying attention, if you don't start making noise, pretty soon your kids will have no idea the difference between boys and girls. Don't think I'm kidding. We have a preschool, and it has already come up. In Buell, 
Part of that is because the church is afraid to offend people. And part of that is because we don't want to get involved. It's uncomfortable. Anybody ever had an uncomfortable confrontation? Yeah, no, I don't like it. I'd rather not do it, especially sign up for it. And, and then show up at a meeting to have confrontation. What a bummer. But Jesus has already taught that the, the role of the church, right, is to be salt and light. We're to be a preservative. If we are silent and we just let things roll, you don't get to complain about the way the world looks. And do me a favor, don't just say this is how it has to be. Well, it doesn't have to be unless we lay down. And then more people are going to find themselves before judgment of the king. And I myself will stand before the king and he will say, Jackie, what did you do to stem the flow? And what shall I say? I took the talent you gave me and buried it in the backyard. I don't want to say that. I want to be those that could bring the charge. He was saying, this is not okay. I can't control what people do, but the voice should be heard. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. And it was heard by Herod, and Herod was so frustrated by it, he got tired of hearing it, so he arrested him. He arrested him, and he put him in prison. In fact, he's in a prison called Machris. If you've ever been uh, with us to, to Israel... When we've gone to Israel, we go to a place called Masada. Everybody knows about Masada. Masada is very well preserved, and a lot of work has been done in it. But straight across the Dead Sea, on another mountain, straight across from Masada is Makris. Another fortress, just like Masada, that had a dungeon deep down in the bottom, and that's where John spent his last year. In the dungeon in Makris. In Mark 6.20, this is what it says. Herod feared John. He feared him. There was something about the words that, that John was saying that were, that were challenging Herod, right? Because on one hand, he's really ticked off. Like, why are you telling me this? Who are you? Don't you know I'm the king, right? And on the other hand, he's afraid. He fears him. Why? Because he's righteous and he's holy. So Herod actually took good care of him in prison. That's what Mark 6.20 says. He kept him safe. And he would frequently go down into the dungeon to hear John. So there's John in prison and Herod would come down and John would have another opportunity to say to him, you know, this relationship you have with your niece is not good. It's not good. It's unlawful. It's unlawful. Leviticus says you ought not to have your brother's wife, if nothing else. And so he's saying to him, look, you, you, you know that you shouldn't do this. So he would go down and listen to him. Listen to what it says, Mark 6, 20. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. He's being convicted by the word. And yet he heard him gladly. That's, that's quite the strange relationship, isn't it? 
So picture this, Herod, a man caught up in sin, being confronted by a godly righteous man who is saying to him, hey, this thing that you're doing is unlawful. It's not judgment. It's truth. And so Herod is being confronted with his sin and having to make a choice. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he go down and listen to him again for a year. But then Herod's birthday came. And Herodias, the daughter of Herodias, danced before the company. So they had a feast where in his, at that time, wife's daughter, his, his brother's child, danced before him. The word used uh, for daughter is the same word for Jairus' daughter. Remember Jairus' daughter? She's dead. The Lord comes to her and says, my little child, arise. What do you picture in that word, daughter? Same person, same, same age. Whatever age you picture there, this is the age of the daughter of Herodias. And she's dancing before Herod. And Herod is a twisted, dirty old man. And he's excited by what she does. And so verse 7 of Matthew 14, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. And prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was sorry. But because of his oaths and all the people who watched him and because of what everyone else thought, Herod makes his final rejection. He silences the voice of the king's herald. And so he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And the head was brought on a platter given to the girl. Can you imagine that? Probably talking 12 or 13. Here's a head. And she took it and gave it to her mom. Here, mom. Happy birthday to us. There's, there's interesting, interesting things that, that this lays out for us. It says in verse 12, the disciples came and took the body and, and buried him, John the Baptist, and they went and told Jesus. In Luke 9, verse 9, Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this I hear these things about? And so he started to seek after Jesus. And when Jesus is arrested, he's going to be brought to Herod. And Herod's excited. Oh, Jesus, I heard so much about you and all the miracles that you've done. Will you do a miracle for me? Jesus, before Herod, never spoke a word. Why? You silenced the herald. I don't have anything else to say. He had rejected and rejected and rejected until the day he took John the Baptist's head and then Jesus was done speaking. There was nothing else to say. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7 says, Therefore the Holy Spirit says, Today, 
if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. What had Herod done? He hardened and hardened and hardened and fixed. And when Jesus stood before him, he would do no miracle. He would speak no words. And so Herod would say, if he won't talk to me, then I'll send you to Pilate and you won't talk to anybody else. And so he will send Jesus on to Pilate and perhaps with the goal of silencing him once and for all. So you have a picture of a king and a feast and the death of the king's herald. The silencing of the voice of God and all of these things is exactly how the world responds to the message of the word of God. It's exactly how they respond. Yet, from Genesis through the Gospels to Revelation, God sends his people to speak. There will be a day where there will be no more voice, where the Lord will say, that's it. And you will see the events that we've read about in the book of Revelation and the outpouring of God's wrath. But this is not that day so far. It is still the day. So the, the, Paul would declare, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. The writer of Hebrews would say, so open your heart. Don't harden your heart. Speak the truth in love to a world that needs to know. The world has heard a silent church for a long time. The world doesn't need a silent church. The world doesn't need a church who thinks in the place of Christ their job is to condemn. That's Jesus' job. He'll judge. My job is just to say that Jesus Christ commands all men everywhere to repent. Turn from your sin. I don't care what it is. If you're living together and you're not married, the word to you is repent. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ. And no matter what has has happened, no matter what things have passed through your life, no matter what things you have done, if you call upon the name of the Lord, he will forgive you and restore you and save. There's a reason why the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that God hates pride. You know what pride stops you from doing? Pride stops you from repenting. In pride, I'll say things like, this wasn't wrong. What I did isn't wrong. I'll justify whatever things I've done. The circumstances in my life come around to, to mean this is something that I need to do. This is an action that I need to take. I can justify it. God commands all men, all human beings, to repent and trust him. And everyone... According to the book of Joel, chapter 2, who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you can't hold on to your sin, and that's our responsibility. 
We have to turn from our sin. And we know what is sin because the word very clearly tells us, right? And maybe there'll be a feast like Herod's feast for us one day. But if there is, I hope we'll hear the words of our Savior who said to John, Blessed is he who is not ashamed of me. Once upon a time, I worried a lot about how someone would hear what I, what I said. And, and really, I, I still struggle with those things today. But I, I, I struggle more with what it sounds to my Savior when I won't say what I know I ought to say. Blessed is he who's not ashamed of me. We want to be those who will stand. And so in verse 13, these disciples come to Jesus. And when he heard this, he withdrew from there to a boat to a desolate place by himself. So Jesus is bummed. Now he knows this day is coming, but doesn't make the news any better. And he wants to go away and just get a quiet time. Anybody ever want to go away and get a quiet time? So Jesus wants to go away and have some quiet, be de in a desolate place by himself. But, hear that word? But. So just so you know, you guys should all stop using that word. That word means in strong contrast to. So like when you say, you know, you're so amazing and I, and I think you're such a great person, but. But erases everything you said before. In case you didn't know that, you should find a new way to say whatever you're trying to say. Jesus wants to go be alone, but it says the crowds, the crowds wanted to be with him. They heard about it. So Jesus is going to take a boat on the Sea of Galilee and they're going to see him and they're going to take off running around the Sea of Galilee to get where he's landing because they want to be where he is. Jesus wants to be alone. How do you feel when you want to be alone and those special people maybe that you'd rather left you alone for a little while come and find you? Listen to how Jesus felt. Listen to what it says. So when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Well, there they are waiting for him. And he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. So they've been following Jesus everywhere. And Jesus is tired. And Jesus is sorrowful. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isn't that what the word declares? And so John the Baptist is dead. Maybe he just wants to go somewhere and have a quiet moment. But when he gets there, there's a big crowd there. And how does Jesus respond? With compassion. I don't always respond that way. But I want to live a life that reflects my king. I don't want to be like Herod, right? I want to be like Christ. He had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Matthew 9, 36 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep 
without a shepherd. Matthew 20, 34, it says, Jesus had compassion. In pity, he touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, or compassions, never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Are you thankful that the compassion of the Lord for you is new every morning? Are you thankful that God's not worn out by our struggles? Yeah. Me too. Because every morning pretty much starts the same way. Hey, Lord, I'm sorry about yesterday. (laughs) Help me be better today. Right? Something like that. Help me walk with you better today. The Lord is filled with compassion. And the first thing that we want to take from the feast of the true king, he's willing to be inconvenienced by the needs of others. That's a hard lesson to to hold on to. It's a hard lesson to be willing to be inconvenienced by the need. Because if you ever noticed, other people's needs never happen at a convenient time. Have you noticed that? Nobody ever breaks down when you're just sitting at home doing nothing. It's or maybe they break down and they need you when you're sitting at home doing nothing and you really would rather not go. And then the call comes. At eleven o'clock, my truck won't work. Well, you heard of a tow truck? Uh, they couldn't get a tow truck. Well, you know, it's probably not legal for me to come tow you with my truck from Twin to Buell at 11 o'clock at night down the highway 10 miles an hour. It's going to take forever. I got things to do, places to be. So I just put a magnetic thing on the door, Jackie's Tow Service. And I grab a toe strap and I and I did something loving for somebody who don't deserve it. Just like Christ did something loving for me and I didn't deserve it. And I spent like 40 minutes pulling this. The only the only deal I told him is don't hit my truck. <laughs> you can hit anything else. Don't hit my truck. And I pulled them back to Buell. Recently, this same person moved to Utah. And he came by my house to tell me goodbye. Going to be out in Utah. And I give him a hug. And and I told him, okay, look, if you break down in Utah, you can still call me. I'll come at least once. What we learn from Christ here is when he's tired and he would like a break and he'd really like to be alone, but he found out the need that someone had, he was willing to meet their need. I'm sure it took a lot. So we know from the story there's 5,000 at least, right? And it doesn't matter how many beyond that. I don't care. 5,000 is big enough. Can you imagine how long it takes to lay hands on and heal and pray for 5,000 people. 
It was a long day. On a day that he wanted a break. And so it says, the very next story, very next part of the story, verse 15, says, now when it was evening, evening, we lost a whole day. So it's evening, and the disciples came to him. And they said, Lord, this is a desolate place. That means there's no Taco Bell. <laughs> there are no stores, there's no shops, there's no, no, no place to go buy food. This is a desolate place. The day is over. Send these people away so that they can go buy food for themselves. The reaction of the disciples tells us that they didn't quite have the same compassion Jesus did. Right? Lord, would you get rid of these people? We'd like some alone time with you. They need to go eat. There's no place for them to eat here. The location and the timing's infavorable. We don't have time. We don't have food. There's no place to go get any food. Get rid of the people, Lord. Verse 16, but Jesus said, they don't got to go anywhere. Sometimes that's a hard one to hear. But Lord, I'm tired. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. And the Lord says, look, there you don't need to go anywhere. You need to give them something to eat. And that's impactful if you think about it. Lord, send these people away. We, you know, they're, they're going to get hungry. There's no place for them to eat here. And the Lord says, no, they don't need to go anywhere. You need to feed them. That was the Lord's command to his disciples. You feed them. But Lord, you feed them. We read in John 6, when we read about this story, that Jesus, the, the disciples lift up their eyes and, 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 and say, seeing the large crowd coming toward Jesus, said to Philip, hey, Philip, where should we go get bread for all these people? The Bible says he said that to test him because Philip don't want to feed him. It's been a long day. Can they just go away? But Jesus knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not enough to feed these people. Like Philip saying, even if we spend all the money we got, I don't have enough. Well, good. When Jesus says you feed them, he's not saying you are the source. He is saying, though, you are the means. And they're going to feed the people. Because the commandments of God are his enablements. When the Lord commands us to do something, he enables us to do it. He wants them to feed the people, they will feed them. We see Andrew in John 6, verse 8. Now, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, Lord, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what is so little among so many? Even the faith of Andrew, which was better than the faith of everybody else, didn't think they could solve the problem with what they had. The lesson 
of the fish and the loaves and the feeding of the 5,000 is little is much in the hands of God. We started this morning with a marathon set of announcements. There's a lot of stuff going on. We have a children's ministry always needs help. A nursery ministry always needs help. Cleaning ministry always needs help. Hallelujah night. We, we turn this whole place into a festival. And prior to entrance to the festival, everybody walks through three skits that present the gospel. And there are families whose lives have been changed because of Hallelujah Night who are now a part of our fellowship. But we can't do any of that if no little boys will come forward and say, here's my lunch. It's not much, but it's all I have. Maybe what you have to give is little. Maybe you're, you don't have a lot of talent. Hey, I understand that. Look, the crazy thing to me is I have had opportunity to do worship in crazy places with lots of people, and I'm terrible. No, it's okay. Later you can come tell me, oh, no, Jackie, I love your worship. It's all right. <laughs> Look, I know... I know who I am. You're not going to be able to deceive me. I'll just say, get behind me, Satan. It's okay. <laughs> but, and I don't mean that. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying false humility or nothing like that. I'm just saying, in reality, I don't have a lot of talent, but I'm not afraid to be made a fool of. And so, way back, 25 years ago, I'm sitting in a Bible college class. And uh, the professor that was teaching at that time, he's, with, he's in heaven now. And he says, hey, I would like to do worship. Anybody play guitar? I knew like two chords. And I said, I opened my big mouth. It happens to me all the time. I'll play guitar. Perfect. Jackie's doing worship tomorrow. Uh, I stood in front of that class visibly shaking. Like Rick doing announcements earlier. I'm visibly shaking, you know, I can't sing, I can't find the key. Still today, the girls will sing it in my ear. Like, oh, Jackie will mess it up if we don't hum this. Somebody better tell them where the note is, because they know, I'll just sing. And if it's bad, it'll just be bad. Because I'm willing to take what I can do, and put it in God's hands. And he's given me the opportunity to do some crazy stuff. Not because I'm great or, or super talented or have incredible ability. He does it because I'm willing to come to him and say, here's my lunch. It's not that much. But I'm willing to give it to you. Whatever it is. Here at Calvary Chapel Buell, we are in desperate need of maintenance i'm not a maintenance guy i'm a reason why there needs to be maintenance <laughs> so we're in desperate need of somebody who would say man i'm 
you know, I could, I could maybe fix some stuff that's broke. So trust me, you walk around this place, there's holes in walls, broken corners. We got 42 vacuums somewhere. <laughs> and two of them work. So there's just no end to the, to the things that are needed. And part of being a, the body of Christ in... And I would say part of, uh, I have this overwhelming brokenness to me. I was sharing with somebody before um, that I, that I, I find uh, some unique brotherhood in uh, bikers. Sorry. I'm, that's just how your pastor's broke. But one of the cool things about having friends that are bikers is you have a brotherhood, people who call you, check on you, want to know how you're doing. Isn't that something we should be doing for one another? Like, just care enough to reach out. That's how it was always supposed to be. I remember a friend of mine come out of the gangs, and he, and he got saved, and he got baptized, and he was around church all the time, just always there. And then, you know, a few months down the road, we start seeing him a little less, and a few months down the road... And then eventually you don't see him at all. And when we start seeing him at all, we start reaching out. What's going on? And we reach out and we call him. He says, you know, he, he says, it's my fault. You know, he said, I thought when I got saved, it was going to be like it was when I was in a gang. And we, we were always there for each other. And we talked to one another and we were, we stayed connected. You know, I, I never went a day without, I didn't hear from somebody that was in the gang. Now, usually it was bad stuff about who we got to shoot or who we got, what, what we got to steal or whatever, but I was always connected. I always knew somebody cared about me. And he said, and I, I came to church and I thought it was going to be like that. So I told him it's supposed to be. That's how we're supposed to be. And we sit around, I do it too. We sit around and we wait for somebody else to do it. We say, why don't you do this for me? Like, I know that the Bible tells me that I'm supposed to consider one another for stirring up love and good works, right? I'm supposed to reach out and I'm supposed to connect, and, and I'm, but I'm waiting for somebody else to do it. And everybody's waiting for the preacher to do it. And, and we all need to recognize in that, in that Bible verse and in that teaching, it doesn't say for the pastor or the elders or the deacons. It says, let us. Anybody not considered part of us? If you're a believer, you're part of us. So learning to check in and reach out. The point is there's a lot of people to feed. Amen? There's a lot of people in Buell. There's a lot of people in fighters. a world that is going 100 miles an hour off a cliff straight to hell. Right? And they're picking up speed all the time. They're going so fast, I don't even know if I can catch up. And what is necessary is for God's people to say, all I got is a sack lunch, Lord. I don't know what this is going to do for all these problems. But he just needs a person to say, here. And what will God do with it? What's the story tell us that God does with it? He says in verse 18, bring it to me. Bring it to me. You're not the source to solve all the problems in the world. You're not the source even to solve all the problems of the needy people around. You're just the, the one. You're the touch point. What does Jesus say? Bring it to me. 
Bring it to me. Bring what you have. And there was a time when I, come, when I came to Jesus and I had a broken marriage and a broken life and a giant heap of garbage all around me. I literally could not think of anything good I had. So I came before the Lord and I told him, I have, you can have everything I got. But I don't have anything that, you, that, that is savable. And he saved it all. He saved my marriage, he saved my life, he saved my kids. He saved it all because I was willing to bring it to him. And then with my talents and abilities, I, I don't have nothing that better than anybody else. I'm just willing to say, well, if you'll use me, I'll go. That's how I ended up in Idaho. That's how I ended up being a pastor. Every door that's ever opened, just open because I told God, if, the, if something happens, I'll go. If they open the doors, I'll go be there. I'll be a part. Listen, these 12 guys turn the world upside down. Not because they were amazing. Not because of their incredible abilities. But simply because they were willing to come to Jesus and say, you can have what I got. And God used it all. He says, bring it to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. So he said, give it to me. Then he blessed it. Then he broke it. Then he gave it. You're going to see that pattern over and over and over and over. He says, give it to me. Then he'll bless it. Then he'll break it. Then he'll give it. That's the process. He broke the loaves. He gave it to the disciples. And the disciples gave it to the crowd. And when they all ate and were satisfied, they took up the baskets. And there was more than enough left over. Amen? Little is much in the hands of the Lord. But little is nothing if you won't give it. Spending a little time with a kid in, in Sunday school, helping him understand who Jesus is. It's a big deal to the Lord. Oh, you're not a theologian. Well, good. Neither are two-year-olds. Or three-year-olds, or four-year-olds, or five-year-olds, or six-year-olds, or seven-year-olds. Uh, and we won't hold it against you if you're not a theologian. It's okay. It's just a matter of being willing. We can make a big difference in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our families, if we're willing. There's two feasts here. One full of debauchery and death. And the other, full of faith and life. One, trusting the king to do everything that he can do. And the other, doing everything they can do to silence the king. The Bible says that you've been invited to the feast. Are you going to come? It's kind of an important question. You've been invited. 
He said, go to the highways and the byways and invite them all to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Invite them all to come. Tell them all. But you can't get in without being clothed in Christ, right? You've got to be clothed in him. What's that look like? Repent and believe. And then it doesn't require 47 years of Bible college to prepare. It just requires a willing heart to say, what can I do for you now? And watch what God does. There's plenty left over. Everything that's needed comes from him. The only part we give is the willing hands and the willing heart. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we thank you for the truth of your word and and what your word declares and describes, Lord. And I just keep hearing the author of Hebrews saying, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Because that is the path of Herod. You harden and harden, and next thing you know, you silence his voice. And you don't hear him no more. I want to hear your voice, Lord. I want to hear your call. And you have said it already so many times throughout the book of Matthew. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. But Lord, I just want to get to the other side of this lake and find some rest. I'm tired. And the Lord says, just bring to me what you have. And you will find rest. We'll never find rest. We'll never find peace running away from Jesus, trying to get away from the things he's asking us to do. But rather, Lord, we come to you laboring and heavy laden, and we discover you are my rest. You energize me when I don't have any juice left. You give me those mornings beside the still, calm waters. Your word declares that you give me eat, give me food, I don't know where to find pasture or peace, but it's you. You are my shepherd, I shall not want. You lead me there. I don't know what I need. I know what I think I want. But you know what I need. You're my shepherd. And you're saying to your disciples there in that giant pasture filled with thousands of people, You can feed these people. You can meet the need. You can make a difference. But you got to bring what you have to me. And you got to let me have it. You got to let me bless it. You got to let me break it. And then you got to let me give it back. And you will discover little is much in the hands of our God. God, I pray that we will apply the truth of your word to our life and that we would not be like a man who 
comes to a mirror and sees the smudges that he needs to correct. And then he turns from the mirror and forgets all about it. I pray we will be those who are hearers and doers together. That we will find community and peace and love and care for one another. Because we bring what we have to Jesus and he blesses and breaks it. And he gives it back. God, I, I pray that you would help us be a family. I know family doesn't always get along. But we're always family. I pray, Lord, that we care for one another. And we reach out to one another. And we call one another just to say, hey, I was thinking about you today. What a blessing that is to someone. Lord, I pray that you be glorified and magnified in this body. And we'll give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close out this morning, we're just going to have a time of quiet reflection and prayer. So I encourage that there will be folks up front. There's uh, past and present elders, deacons, leaders within the church that are going to be spread around they're just here to pray with you. If something's going on and you need prayer, just come up and let them know and they'll pray with you. And then uh, you'll have uh, someone added to a list who's always lifting you up. And as we, as we go from this place, I just pray that you would consider the word that the Lord brought today that God wants to use us all. Amen.